Hello and welcome along to the Prevention is the New Cure podcast. We're doing episode 16 and it's party conference time. More of that to come. I'm Steve Bryan. I am the MP for Winchester and I'm the chair of the Health and Social Care Select Committee in the House of Commons. And I'm Helen Stokes-Lampard. I'm a frontline NHS GP in the Midlands. I've done lots of health-related leadership roles and I'm a professor at the University of Birmingham. And I really, really care about health prevention. Yeah, don't we both? So we're going to talk about party conference in a minute. We're going to talk about um, health tech. We're going to talk about various other things, cancer related and different party conferences. But before that, episode 15, last time, we had Professor Kevin Fenton on talking about sexual health and HIV and AIDS. And I can reveal that it is our most listened to episode to date, Helen. Oh, well, Kevin is fantastic, isn't he? Uh, he's just so dynamic. He explains things so beautifully clearly. And he really is an absolute leading light in this world. So I'm delighted that uh, he's he, that people have listened in and keep listening to the rest. There's lots of fun stuff to come. Yeah, he said he really enjoyed it as well. So he did. You know, yeah. he's, he's clearly <laughs> capable of bending the truth. No, no, he genuinely did enjoy it. He's such a nice guy, isn't he? He's such good fun. And um, what, were we ta- what else were we talking about last time? Um, industrial action, which oh. seems to be new. Yeah, so industrial action, gosh, um, it was, you know, we were sort of lamenting the fact that as we were recording the last podcast two weeks ago, that the first combined industrial action of consultants and junior doctors was happening, there was 24 hours of it, we at the time of recording are still in, we're in a second bout of combined action, but this one is a three day action, um, so very sad uh, news and in between these two episodes we've had the announcement that over a million uh, appointments have been delayed or cancelled by industrial action in the NHS this year so uh, yeah not great I have to say I was in surgery on Monday I was the emergency doctor Steve and I was really struck I actually had an elderly male patient in tears with me because his daughter had used up some of her annual leave to take time to come down and take him to a hospital appointment which got cancelled at short notice I had two people on the phone in distress uh, because of postponements one for an operation she's in a lot of pain and it's it's really hard you know because because you know we're picking up the pieces as well and yet we know that we need a satisfactory resolution to this so anyway we've spent enough time on this issue and i just i saw that this week actually nhs england so steve powis who's the medical director there has mm. now written to the bma saying that the strikes are causing his words significant disruption and risk to patients mm. including those needing urgent heart and cancer treatment so nhs england taking a bit of a muscular position there which you would probably expect to hear more from politicians but they've sort of spoken out a bit this week yeah that is that's definitely a significant development i know they won't have done that lately because they've tried to be so careful and to stay sort of fairly neutral in this letting the union slug it out with yeah. uh, politicians but anyway and um, so can we it's... make this episode an hs2 free zone hs2 free zone yeah try yeah. say that quickly <laughs> yes of course one hundred percent. Because if we're going to talk party conferences, there's been far too much conversation about HS2 and not enough talk about the stuff that really matters, in my humble opinion. So let's talk party conferences. Um, for a couple of weeks now, I have been talking to Number 10 and to the Prime Minister about party conference and the health stuff that might happen. And they have been interested because we know this because it leaked out. They have been interested in pursuing the New Zealand style approach to smoking, basically raising the age at which you can buy cigarettes every year 
by year. So those aged 14 today, every time they get to the age of consent at 18, it'll move one year further away from them. And what we'll do is create a smoke-free generation. And this was written in something called the Khan Review, which produced a load of recommendations to government as to how do we get to the ambition that that I actually set in government, which is smoke-free England by 2030. And I think it's fair to say that Number 10 have been concerned about this from the libertarian side of things. A certain former prime minister this week was saying we should stop banning things. Um, And, you know, I understand that there is always politics in this, but long-term decisions is what the prime minister says he wants to be known for. This is a big time, long term decision. Now, we've both been out on the media today as we record this on Wednesday. Uh, So we've both been out on the media this week talking about this. I can only say good things about this. Yep. I have to say, me too, Steve. I think what attracts me about this, I mean, let's let's get sort of backpedal slowly. You know, everybody listening knows that smoking is harmful. You know, cigarettes contain literally thousands of compounds and hundreds of them are harmful to health and dozens of them are carcinogens. That's just fact. And we also know that over 14% of the population in the United Kingdom, just under 14% in England, are smokers addicted to smokers and smoking harms people and this isn't this isn't something where there is a matter of free choice about smoking smoking harms the individual but it also smokes others around and therefore it has to be treated differently from other areas Um, and whatever your political views are about choice or not doing things that harm other people need to be sorted out and legislated for but what I do not want as a doctor is to see my patients criminalized. I don't want to see people who are already addicted and already have, you know, have a medical problem, which is nicotine addiction, being criminalized by the system, which calls for total outright immediate bans would immediately do. Whereas this incremental increasing the age is a very elegant solution. I mean, it's going to be complicated to implement. It absolutely needs wraparound support services to go with it, but it has an awful lot of appeal. I love the phrasing of sort of, you know, creating a generation um, who will benefit from this. They will. And, you know, you can say why 14? Well, because that's the age at which a lot of young people try it. That's what the stats say. Mm -hmm. We know that the increase in the minimum age from 16 to 18, when that was done, radically um, reduced the uptake in those age brackets. So, you know, the the disparities, the health disparities, and why we're looking at this so much on the on the select committee is that smoking rates are higher where in the poorer communities. Yeah. And so, you know, I think when people say this is nanny state, I say that we have a right in a publicly funded state health system to intervene in population health measures. And more than that, I would say we have a responsibility to do so. So I think this is going to, as I've I've just written a blog about it, actually, which um, I'll, I'll put on the on the socials for this podcast is up on Politics Home now, actually. Um, well, I, this will undoubtedly save tens of thousands of lives. And it is genuinely a long term decision. Um, the prime minister won't be around to to see to see the fruition of this, whatever happens yeah. at the next election. So, yeah, yeah, credit to it. So, 
and so just to spell it out for people who haven't quite got their heads around it, my understanding is that if if this goes through all the legislative steps it would need to to be adopted, it would mean that any person born from the 1st of January 2009 onwards, so anybody born after the 1st of January 2009, would never legally be allowed to buy cigarettes in England. Um, uh, yes, this is an England-only measure, correct. Yeah. So, I mean, now, now historically, actually, England has been slightly behind uh, Scotland and Wales in implementing some initiatives for smoking. I mean, they were ahead of us in terms of when introduction, things like um, oh, getting rid of vending machines, I think, and um, changing packaging. So this would be, unless they come online and do this in harmony, which would be an excellent, strong initiative if we could get that. And I'm, I would love to see the four CMOs of the nations talking about this when it comes to it. Wouldn't it be great to see a four-nation approach to this one? Um, but it's... I also think, Steve, that we need to be pushing for the wraparound stuff to go with it as well. So this is help for so talking about reduction of nicotine content, help to quit research to follow how this is working out. Um, you know, so why spot decide- on, Helen, spot on, because there are 6.4 million smokers in the UK last year in 2022. Yeah. Um, nothing about this measure will, of course stop you buying cigarettes we're not banning cigarettes it's not prohibition no so what needs to go alongside this to get to the smoke-free ambition is the smoking cessation wraparound care that you're talking about the sort of focused care that can come through general practice that can come through pharmacy that actually is not there at the moment in enough numbers so the government are going to and we're going to be pressing for this i'm sure on the set committee they are going to have to revisit the public health budgets there's no question about that because you're right we're not just writing off people that have started smoking now we want to try and get them off as well which leads us on to vaping which the prime minister also mentioned in his speech today about young yeah it was a little bit more woolly than i thought it it was going to be and as you know because we discussed it before i'm pleased about that because he He's given himself wiggle room to look at the evidence on youth vaping. Mm-hmm. Let's just remember, youth vaping is illegal. If yep. you are under 18, you shouldn't yep. be buying vapes, disposable or otherwise. But if you are an adult smoker who wants to try vaping, disposable at first, five quid a pop, generally speaking, to move away from tobacco products, then I don't think we should take that away from the marketplace. I think we can explore whether it should be on prescription through your GP, for instance. But I don't think we should do that. And the Prime Minister said today that, you know, we were going to look further and probably there'll be a consultation on vaping policy. That is eminently sensible. And if I do say so, a number of us have been arguing for that more nuanced position. And, I mean, you know, we've had Deborah Arnott, the Chief Executive, Ash, on the pod talking about a lot of these issues before. And I know there's an all-party parliamentary group on smoking and health as well. Chaired by uh, Bob Blackman, yeah. Yeah, I'm, Harrow, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming they're very aligned with all this as well. They're really happy. Um, Bob's probably doing cartwheels down Harrow High Street about <laughs> this at the moment. Uh, so, you know, look, it's good. And I get it that some people won't like it. They'll see us as banning things. Uh, and they'll say that, you know, the libertarian argument should win out. People should be able to do what they want when they want. Um, yeah, to an extent, but actually, you know, smoking related illnesses cost the NHS 21 billion quid last year. That a lot of money. And uh, if you want to tackle the biggest preventable killer in our country today, it's smoking. I mean, how many yeah. times do you see people in the surgery? You've got, you know, oh, uh, every day. CPD or, or, or obviously yeah. lung cancer at its worst. 
do you know what amazes me, Steve? People are surprised when I gently say to them, and how much are you smoking? I don't ask them if they're smoking because I can smell it. They can smell it from, you know, and, and people are genuinely, oh, you know, I smoke, doctor, or I sort of, yes, <laughs> do it very nicely in a supportive way. But there is something here that this isn't the 1960s, you know, this is 2023. We know enough. We know enough. What we need to do is treat everybody who's addicted to nicotine with compassion and give them as much support as they can, because it is really hard to quit. Um, yeah. But the biggest thing is to prevent people from ever taking it up. So, yeah, that's Tory Party Conference. Been a lot else going on. Um, we won't talk about the railway, but, you know, a lot else going on. Be some other health announcements around health tech, which may come on to a bit later on. Stuff about same-sex wards and trans women in same-sex wards but let's mm. not go down that rabbit warren but yeah that story party conference it's all been going on but steve you say all this i understand you're not actually in manchester <laughs> no i'm not i am in Fess west up. africa i am in west africa at the moment in in accra in the capital of ghana at a big commonwealth conference so i'm sort of speaking to you from there fascinating actually so all the nations of the commonwealth gather to every every year for Commonwealth Parliamentary Conference. And there are MPs from all over all over the Commonwealth that come together and talk about, I mean, gosh, there's a, there's a huge program, as you can imagine, talking about issues around security, about the environment, about women's representation and health, actually. So we were at the High Commission on Monday talking to the High Commissioner and I had a very interesting meeting yesterday with the health advisor, from FCDO, who's based out here in Ghana, who advises the British High Commission on various health issues. And um, yeah, so we're talking a lot about maternal health, talking about HIV and AIDS, which you know I'm, I'm very interested oh. in, and just looking at the structure of health systems out here in Ghana. And they have, for instance, no, they have no population screening program. So, you know, our breast screening program, our ovarian screening program, prostate, there's none, there's none of that. Um, but there are, there are some big billboards actually here in Accra with, um, about breast cancer. Okay. Um, and trying to raise awareness of, of that program at the moment, but they're doing, um, they're not doing terribly on vaccinations. So they, they have a deal with the Serum Institute. Um, obviously, Malaria is still a big killer here in Ghana, mm. as it is in a lot of sub-Saharan Africa, mm. which is why the news this week about that new vaccine yes, another uh, one. for malaria is great news. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing out here in, in Accra. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you're doing something really interesting, worthwhile out there. And it's great to see uh, that they are coming along so well. Um, you also went to another conference last week, didn't you? I mean, I haven't had much excitement at all since our last podcast, but you've been all over the place. Yeah, I was I was talking at HET actually, which is stands for Healthcare Excellence Through Technology, and uh, it's a big conference down at Excel Centre in London, which is mm. all about tech and health and mm. how that can help us monitor long term conditions, prevent conditions. And um, a chap called Andy Kinnear, who's former Chief Information Officer at NHS England, did an mm. interview with me, a fireside chat. Although I didn't see any fires, thank goodness, because it's hot there too, um, not as hot as here. And he he's written a blog post about that, which I'll also pop into the social media. Good. But yeah, I mean, what HET is about is some incredible products actually around monitoring of patient health which is really the future isn't it of prevention which is getting patients to monitor their health and then feed that back to you the clinicians through technology but nothing's really connected up at the moment enough is it absolutely and you know my, my interest in this space i'm on this new um, expert advisory panel to the ai task force and the idea is to sort of talk about as well as the risks 
uh, of using uh, technology that isn't proven and tested and AI that hasn't got guardrails in it in terms of how it's going, but is also to explore the opportunities. And one thing I keep coming at time and time again is the how difficult it is to roll out and get, uh, get widespread adoption of new technology. Sometimes it's a lot, a lot of the time it's because we haven't got the baseline infrastructure in the NHS, we haven't got the interoperability in our basic systems yet. But a lot of the time there is inherent resistance and inertia in the system. Um, and obviously everyone's distracted with delivering the frontline services and change takes time and energy, which is hard for people as well. So yeah, great to hear the conference went well, Steve. Yeah, no, it's really interesting stuff. I mean, there are so many, there are so many best of British actually at a conference like that, you know, real sort of um, tight little startups with one or two people who've got really interesting projects. So, you know, company based down in Southampton actually called My Renal Care, mm. um, company that is doing a new uh, dermatology service where it's an app-based service which takes very, very high-res images, which can be fed back to to UGPs. Really interesting project, which I'll, I'll pop in also in the socials, which is where you look at a, an iPad, you look into the camera of an iPad for forty seconds, and it mm. takes very, very small, subtle readings of your skin tone, of any changes in blushing in your skin tone, and from that, it can produce your heart rate, your pulse, and your BP. And uh, you know what an incredible tool wow. that could have in terms of you know preventing ill health by spotting hypertension for uh, instance which as you as you will know more than me is a, always a, an indicator of trouble ahead well i was i was actually talking to somebody only today from um, an ai firm that are helping with the diagnostic uh, the diagnosis of skin cancers um, skin analytics but the, the point being they're currently used in various places in the sort of the pathway as a tool to assist uh, dermatologists um, and its question is is can they be you know can this technology be used any earlier in the pathway um, uh, to help with GPs referring into secondary care so there's loads of exciting opportunities ahead you know and it's the good thing is there's a really strong regulatory framework in sort of medical devices. I think people get quite scared about what's out there, but the MHRA have done a huge amount of work in this space. So, um, yeah, lots to be excited about for the future. But let's keep, you know, checking that things are safe and evidence based. Yeah. Do if you, you want to have a look at that, um, that that thing that, that measures your BP and et cetera, it's called LifeLight. If you look them up on look them up on socials, uh, LifeLight, they're called. Cool. Should we take a break, Steve? Let's do that. Well, welcome back, Steve. I think other party conferences are available at this current season. So I've heard. Mm. So, yeah. So uh, last weekend, it was the Lib Dem conference in Bournemouth. I have a huge soft spot for Bournemouth because that was our favourite family venue for holidays when I was a kid. So oh, we used to nice. pack up the car from South Wales and head up the M4 and then drop down past Salisbury, waving at uh, Stonehenge as we went uh, for family holidays. There's so a lot. My of parents went there for their honeymoon. Did they, so did mine. Did they? It was obviously the, the place for honeymoon. It back was the in place the day. to be. And because it wasn't that far from where we lived at the time, yeah. uh, where they lived at the time, my dad went home on the Saturday afternoon to play football. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still think is great. That is hilarious. Anyway, oh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Bournemouth. Yes, yes. You have so a anyway, soft spot for it. I, I, anyway, um, so... Lib Dems uh, conference, they're talking about health. And I thought I would just pick up on what they've been saying around the health prevention. Yeah, tell us. Thing. Yeah, tell us. So they released a, 
uh, paper, and I have to say it, it didn't get much, I don't think you got any big media coverage, but there was a paper called um, For a Fair Deal, which is like their, well, actually, sorry, that was their main paper, uh, which did get coverage. And there was only a brief message of health there, which is about people having rights to see a GP within a week or so. But the bit that I had to go looking for was their paper called Transforming the Nation's Health. And actually, I think it's full of really good stuff. There's a lot of health prevention stuff in here. So I wanted to run it by you. Um, now, it's got 10 main points, and I'm not going to go through them all because people can look this up. So Transforming the Nation's Health. So their first point is focus on prevention and people's health. Make the improvement of the nation's health a key priority for government. What do you say, sir? Well, uh, anyone is welcome on this journey. Uh, you remember Keir Starmer, whose conference is next week, did his big mm -hmm. sort of plan for health, and he he talked a lot about prevention. That was great. If the the Liberals are doing the same. Then, then that's great because we need a consensus on this yeah. because you know it may be the Conservatives in power after the next election. It may be Labour. Yeah. It may be a mixture a of coalition. two of the three. Mm. And therefore, you know, while people joke and laugh at what the Lib Dems say at their conference, sometimes, um, you know, as in 2010, those things could end up in a coalition programme for government. I think it's, well, we don't know, do we? Um, yeah. But but if they're talking the language of prevention, and I was talking to the Health Service Journal today about the Prime Minister's speech, and they were saying to me, you know, what is the what is the overriding message that you want to see in the manifestos of the parties at the next election? I was like, simple, that we can't carry on with demand outstripping supply at this rate. And yeah. if the Lib Dems get that as well as us and the Conservatives and well as Labour, happy days. Exactly. Cross-party consensus is really what we want when it comes to health matters. And um, there's one, there's another one I was going to raise with you. In fact, you've already alluded to this. And this was about progressively restoring the public health grant uh, with funds set aside for local communities experiencing worst health inequalities. Now, again, I don't think there's anything to disagree with there. And that sort of fits with stuff we've been talking about. Health inequalities are a massive challenge that we keep coming back to on the podcast. Yeah. Um, um, so, but then there's one here, children's health, ban energy drink sales to the under 16s, junk food advertising after 9pm. You've already been asking for these, haven't you? Yeah, well, we've already banned energy drink sales, of course, I, I did it as the minister. The junk food advertising regs, um, in terms of changing the watershed, so you can't mm. advertise foods high in salt sugar mm. after uh, before 9 p.m mm. those regs are waiting to be put through and i'm actually really hoping that that this government in its final year will crack on with that uh, i mean we uh, there's a there's a lot of consensus around local authorities power to restrict junk food advertising and unhealthy food outlets near schools mm. i mean i really do think that local authorities should be able to be more muscular about not having uh, you know three chippies on the totally. row of on the row of shops outside schools because that that's just ghastly so, um, and i've also got a beef about service stations yeah. And, you know, when you go to service stations in other parts of the world, you don't necessarily, well, in America you do, but certainly in Europe, you don't find um, one fast food outlet or two or three at the services. And they're your only choices. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree, Steve. But I don't know if I told you, my dad uh, was a headmaster until he retired. And this issue about unhealthy foods being rammed down the kids' throats, they used to have vans that would turn up selling chips to the kids opposite the school gates. Um, you know, really, really difficult when you're doing your best to promote healthy eating, healthy living to kids. Any distraction is really difficult. Anyway, 
bounding on. Other things that were mentioned, there was mention of vaping and smoking. And again, that totally fits what we've been talking about today. Um, but I was pleased to see mention of social prescribing. You know that I'm uh, yeah found the sort of National Academy for Social Prescribing. So investing in community projects that counter loneliness and share best practice across local authorities, NHS, GPs and primary care services. I'd love to see this one go a bit further because, quite frankly, I think the benefits of social prescribing shouldn't be confined to the community. There's an awful lot in secondary care, mental health services where people benefit from it. But it's like nice to see it getting any sort of mention. Definitely is. Really, really good to see that. Uh, uh, next Monday, actually, I'm going to be talking at a symposium in Chichester called Green Therapies. And we're Ooh. going to be talking about with Carson um, is involved in them. So Carson from Downton Abbey is involved, oh. is involved with them. I don't know who's going to be there. That's but Carson. Bit, I, 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 yeah, that Carson. I've got a bit of a thing for him. Um, had a photo with him once. Anyway, uh, long story. Let's not go down that one. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be speaking at that about gardening and how gardening can be a really <sighs> important bit of social prescribing, which I'm sure. Or you would agree with i totally agree you know that i'm a bit of a secret gardener so yes excellent i think we should probably move on do you think it's time to take a break time for press this button okay pod surgery doctor <laughs> what's in the surgery today dr Steve? stokes lampard the surgery is open uh, what's in surgery today okay bj guildford uh, he's in guildford he's not called bj guildford um given we've got rising levels of chronic disease what actions do you think political leaders need to be taking to tackle this problem and ensure it doesn't overwhelm the NHS? So he didn't specifically say which chronic disease he's got in mind, but I guess this go this speaks to the heart of comorbidities, doctor. Mm -hmm. I think it probably does. So you must see a lot of patients who have comorbidities, by which, of course, we mean various different yeah. conditions that come together to create chronic illness for them yeah so you know I mean I don't want to sort of make this too basic because I think the people listening to this are, are pretty well read and understand but essentially you know there's a whole heap of lifestyle measures we know that if you're carrying excess amounts of weight that predisposes you to type 2 diabetes it predisposes you to cardiovascular disease if you've got respiratory disease then having too much weight on you as well adds an additional strain if you've got joint problems carrying too much weight exacerbates the problem with your joints so you know lifestyle measures that can help you maintain a sensible weight it's a no-brainer um likewise we've, we've talked extensively about smoking we don't need to go there today I mean, but that's respiratory disease cardiovascular disease and a whole heap of cancers um you know we can go on but in a sense there's a whole range of lifestyle measures you know we we're all about prevention here so this is these are the those are the things that individuals can do, things that society can do, things that government can legislate for. So for me, it's all about getting upstream to prevent disease, and but also for wider government. And I, the challenge back to you, I think, is about how do we help people live healthier lives and make healthy choices cheap and accessible right across government? This is not just about DHSC. Yeah, well, I mean, he, BJ's question is, you know, what do you think political leaders need to be doing to, to tackle the problem? So I suppose I would point to the... The major condition strategy and you can call yeah. it what you like and this government or an, or the next government of whichever color will will call it that or call it something else but it will all basically come down to the same thing which is that how do we prevent particular medical conditions um so you know cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally but you know screening early diagnosis upstream interventions on cbd can dramatically improve outcomes and so i suppose what the major condition strategy that 
the the current department of health are doing is looking at where they co-join so there's a chap called professor john deanfield who is the champion oh, yeah. for personalized prevention do you I know, know him? john i do know john yeah, very well yeah so he wants to uh, in sort of a letter that he wrote to us about the major condition strategy he said he wants to develop an ambitious vision for a modern personalized cvd prevention service that will contribute to the government's ambition to increase healthy life expectancy and level up, which is obviously a, a Boris term, but that—that's what I think, BJ, you're driving at is you know bringing the major conditions under one strategy to try and a prevent them and b treat them more holistically, and that is what all political leaders of whatever colour are going to need to do over the next year and then after the election. Cool. Right, I've got one for us. Yep. This is from a medical student, uh, Claire Grange, who got in touch. Uh, so she, interestingly, she had her family before going to medical school. So she's a mother to two small boys. And she was asking us about mental health literacy. And I'm actually going to read out some of her words because I think they really was really quite interesting and well put. So she said, during psychiatry placement as medical students, she brought in some of her son's books to show to other students. And she found that the range of books out there, there's a, there are loads of really good books out there that talk to children as young as two about coping strategies and it's a wonderful development and she's seen there's a push from government on transforming children and young people's mental health and how it's tackling schools so she feels that raising a generation have got these coping strategies built in would be an amazing way to go to bringing down levels of mental ill health we're seeing so how do we get this message out there how do we you know show people is it is it something to bring into education schools these resources you know with these books to get kids exposed to them at a young age they can learn about coping strategies as part of their normal development and story time yeah i mean of course with i always think there's two sides to this isn't there because there's the coping strategies to prevent that that low level anxiety Mm. that then could become something worse and then we've just got this horrible tsunami that is coming our way and Mm. is with us in some places from covid where you know so many teachers that i visit in schools who say to me steve you know the the young kids they just don't have the resilience that they did and i see that in my own household without Mm. without question um so you know there are these mental health support workers in schools they're not there's not enough of them and they're not everywhere yet but I just I think so it's so important isn't it with physical or mental health is to is to is to grab before it falls too far because once the further it falls the harder it is to get it back isn't it absolutely and I think that's what I liked about this challenge from Claire is that you know there are good, there's good stuff out there that could really help kids build and understand what normal coping is how to do things better and um, and how we make it really easy for kids to access this stuff and expose them to it so that when they need the strategies they're ready for them so anyway it was it was a, it was a good challenge I'm not sure we can fix it but I, I think it's good to talk about yeah and, we, and you you were saying weren't you just before we came on actually that we, you'd love to talk to Norman Lamb about this one day so Norman used to be an MP in mm. Norfolk and held the mental health brief in the coalition government and um, is somebody who we both know and I've yeah. worked with him and he's talked to the select committee a few times actually and helped helped us for formulate our thoughts on the prevention inquiry so maybe he could come on the pod and talk about mental health prevention that would be fantastic that would be fantastic wouldn't it just okay one quick one before we go which is something i've picked up on this week um there's been so the lancet you know if you heard the lancet the very eminent medical journal have do these commissions and the lancet commission have been doing one called women power and cancer 
And they have established that globally there are, they reckon, 800,000 women a year dying needlessly because they've been denied optimal care because they are women. Um, so I know you're, you've got a huge interest in cancer, and, but haven't, we haven't really talked about gender inequality and discrimination. And I, it was a really interesting one. I think there's far less of it in the UK, um, but actually in terms of prevention, there is something really important here about recognising. I mean, they looked at 185 countries, but it was about unequal power dynamics and society as a whole treating women differently to men. So I think lots of negative impacts. And I, I just was quite taken aback when I read it. It's really interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll have a read of it, and we'll put we'll pop the link on the on the Twitter, formerly known as. Um, I get. I guess. Yeah. I guess that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because people would think that actually, you know, due to non-presentation, that it would often be men who have yeah. worse, worse. Well, men do have yeah. worse cancer outcomes. Um, so, be very interesting to see what the the Lancet, uh, what their thesis is. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I can certainly see that the executive summary of it and what they're what they're getting at. So, mm. you know, well done for them for doing what looks like a pretty complex piece of work. We've yeah. got a lot of stuff to put in the Twitter, haven't we? So we'll do that after this. And uh, the next time we talk will be in a couple of weeks time mm. i i will be traveling again actually again but we i will be traveling with the select committee and we're off to singapore so more of that in the future we're talking uh, about some of the cancer stuff that we're going there with our future cancer inquiry so oh, you good. will find that absolutely fascinating so we'll be talking to the originator of car t uh, cell therapy which oh. among other things but on that episode at the moment uh, and things can change we'll be talking to the chancellor uh, Jeremy Hunt. Yes, I'm looking forward to that very much. Yeah, longest serving health secretary uh, about prevention and healthcare yeah. and patient safety, which he is so. Oh, that is about. his bread and butter. Yeah, so yeah. we'll be talking to Jeremy. So that's something to look forward to. Excellent. Look forward to it. Take care of yourself and travel safely, Steve. Yes, well, there's a baggage handler's strike. Oh, no. Heathrow. So, yeah, if I'm not wearing any pants next I time you I see me. Oh, I don't wear pants anyway. Um, yeah, it. that's, that's uh, C episode 12. Um, yeah, if I don't have any clothes next time you see me, that'll be why. I'll um, find anyway. a surgical gown for you, Steve. Yeah, till next time. Bye, all. Bye. Bye.